Well, this is an exciting day for a lot of reasons, right? Uh, we have Father's Day. Uh, we have our first kind of official time that we we're back indoors. So that's something to big to celebrate and be thankful for that we can do that. Um, many of you weren't in the sanctuary at the time that it was being announced uh, by Henry as the service started. Um, of course, as you can tell, we're inside now, but we also have chairs set up outside. If you would prefer to be outside, uh, we have that as well. So we want everybody to feel comfortable um, and, and feel good about worshiping, whether it's inside or outside. So whichever one you prefer, you know, please feel free to do so. But it's good to see you all in pews and get inside. Can you see me in the back? I was kind of afraid that I wasn't tall enough to be able to be seen from, from ground level, but I think I'm okay. Um, it's an exciting day. It, just, it looks like there's going to be some fun things. Uh, you know, I don't know, it's kind, of, it's kind of strange. This morning I saw them filling up water balloons. No one told me about water balloons. Um, you know, Mother's Day, mothers get mugs and beautiful plants and flowers, and dads get water balloons. I, I think that's probably appropriate, but uh, it's a good thing I brought an extra pair of clothes just in case. Um, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for this day that we could honor and celebrate the dads in our lives. We pray, Lord, that the fathers here or who may be watching would be honored today, would be blessed, Lord. And yet most of all, Lord God, we want to celebrate you today as our father that our Creator, our God, the Almighty God, wants us to call Him Father, Daddy, Abba Father. What an amazing thought. Lord, we honor You today. We pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would speak today, speak in the words, in the message, stir our hearts, challenge us, and we ask for Your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are many joys about being a father. How many dads are here? Show hands. All right, we got a good, a good amount of dads here. Uh, I tell young parents to cherish each stage of parenthood, from infant, from birth all the way through, because each stage has their, their joys of parenthood. Um, you know, I, I took it to be my prerogative as the pastor and father to uh, show pictures of my kids because I have the power to do so. Um, I miss the cuddly moments of infancy when you can hold your baby and they just feel so secure and they just kind of melt in your arms. Um, I, I had to show... My, my infant, my baby picture of my older two is in storage and I couldn't get them, but so uh, Michaela is going to be embarrassed today. Uh, I love the adorable giggles and innocent uh, stage of toddlerhood when they start to be playful, right? When they become where you can actually play with them. Like when they're babies, they're just there and they just smile at you maybe, they hit some things. But when they're toddlers, then you can start playing with them, tossing them around, kick the ball with them, throw the football with them, run around with them. Those are special days. And as they get older, you can do other special days like um, 
daddy-daughter days, father and son days. But as each stage, as they grow older, you get a greater appreciation. You, you enjoy different stages. So when they get older, you're, you're going to appreciate them more in a different way. So that's them all in their recent graduations. Last week, um, the Q&A, someone asked me about memorable moments with my kids. Can I share any memorable moments with my kids? And I got to admit, I, I froze for a moment. Because I was wondering, you know, because I froze because I was like, what are some memorable moments I can share that would be entertaining for people to know? And, and everything I thought of, of memorable moments were those just everyday activities that I had with them. The car rides, listening to music, riding on roller coasters. Um, those are those, those everyday moments that are most memorable to me. However, there are some things that I do not want to relive and I don't want to revisit and I certainly do not miss. I do not want to go back to diaper changing. How many of you still, there's a couple people who are still changing diapers. I rejoiced that last day when we didn't have to do diapers anymore. Oh, that was a memorable, that was an amazing moment. Uh, you know, if you remember those times when uh, you can tell that there was going to be a particularly messy diaper. Dads, you know what you did? How many of you did? Well, I won't make you raise your hands, but I will be honest. I remember when I, there was those certain diapers that I knew that, oh man, this is going to be a bad one. This is going to be a messy one. And my immediate reaction was, hmm, how can I avoid changing this one, right? Parents, did you ever do that to each other and not tell each other? You smelt it, you're like, hmm, maybe the other one will notice it first. Maybe if I look busy, I won't be the one to have to change that diaper. I don't miss those days. I don't miss those messy diaper days. My kids are clean eaters now. But they weren't always clean eaters. Caitlin, she loved to paint with her food. When she sat there, she just got the stuff and she just started painting everything on her tray, on herself, in her hair. Josiah, he loved rice. And he would get rice by the hands full. Not handful, the hands full. He would get the rice and he'd put it in his hair, it got in his nose, it got in his ears, all over the place. I was like, oh, Jamie, where are you? You got this one? Michaela, oh, sorry, I'm a little behind on that. Michaela, she didn't like eating enough to care about leaving a mess. So she just kind of sat there, and she, she didn't make too much of a mess. But there are times when... Those messy cleanups were not so fun. And I got to admit, there were times when I tried to avoid it and hoped that Jamie was around or I got a little too busy to clean up. I don't miss those messy moments, those messy days. Of course, you cannot have, you can't enjoy those clean moments without those messy moments, right? Life is enjoyable when it's nice and clean. That's enjoyable. We can comfortably enjoy life when it's nice and clean. 
But what happens when life gets messy? What happens when life gets messy? Do we want to avoid dealing with the mess? What do I mean by life getting messy? When life is not perfect. When the truthful answer to someone who asks you, how are you doing? The truthful answer isn't, I'm doing good, how about you? When is life messy? There are no quick fixes to your problems. Relationships are not healthy. Physical problems aren't going away with prayer. Bad habits have become addictive behavior. Mental health is debilitating. Faith is diminishing. Finances are crippling. And we could go on and on and on. When life gets messy. When life gets messy, how do we respond? As a church community, how do we respond? When we see, when we know someone, their life is messy. How do we respond to that? We've been looking at this principle as we're going through these these, um, series sermons. We've been looking at cultivating an edifying fellowship. We started that last week. We want a certain quality of fellowship. We want to have the mindset of honoring each other, right? In fact, not just honoring each other, but honoring each other above ourselves. We want to outdo each other when it comes to honoring one another. But what does that look like? Because it can be easy, right? When life is nice and clean, It's easy. Everyone's happy. Everyone's in a good mood. Very enjoyable. But what happens when life is messy? When life isn't great, can we still have that mindset of honoring each other even above ourselves? If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. For those of you who haven't been with us, we've been looking at Romans chapter 12. And Paul's been exhorting the church. He's been talking to the church about what we ought to be as believers in Christ and how we ought to be as a church community. So we've been talking about this idea of honoring each other and elevating each other. So as we continue in Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to talk about us as a church and how we're to minister to those in need. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. Paul goes to say, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So Paul paints this picture as he's describing the church. He's describing the church as a body. And as all we know, we all know that our body is composed of different parts. And each part has a function within the body. In verses, uh, as it continues on to verse 8, it talks about those different areas of service. We're going to get to that next week. Okay, so we'll get to verses 4 through 8 next week. But let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. 
Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So last week we saw, we began to see how we ought to see each other as family. To have the love for each other like we do as family. This familial love. There's an instinctual love we have with family. When our children are born, moms and dads, we should have this instinctual love for our kids. We don't have some time to like get to know our kids first before we decide to love them. Hopefully. Right? It doesn't take you five years for, them to, for you to decide, yeah, you know what, I'm going to love you. You pass the test. There's an instinctual love. Hopefully there's an instinctual love among you siblings. May not always show it every day, right? But you know that there's a love that you have for each other. So last we saw that Paul calls us to have this brotherly kindness, this familial love for each other. And we talked about last week how, well, not all of our families are the same, right? Is it possible to love each other as family? Kind of think about that. You can think about this relationship here. What if our family isn't so healthy? If we're to equate our, our relationships here to love each other as family, and if your point of reference is your family, and you think, well, you know, is my family very kind of loving to each other? Is it possible? Because, you know, we all have different family backgrounds. But just as we alluded to this morning in the songs, in the prayer, isn't it encouraging to know that we have a God that wants us to call him our father? That we have a God who models exactly what we're called to do here. Psalm 67, 5 through 6, it says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3-4. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, if your point of reference in, in your family life is not the ideal situation, we can take comfort, we can be encouraged because our Heavenly Father is the one who comforts us. That we receive comfort in all our afflictions. He has a heart for the broken. And he painted that model for us. And dads here, the dads who are here who are watching, 
as God is our Father, He is our role model, we need to reflect that to our families, to our kids, not just the stereotypical stern father characteristics or qualities that sometimes we associate with. But notice it says our Heavenly Father is the one who comforts us. That role of comforter is not just for the moms, right? Sometimes we think that the moms are supposed to be the comforters. We're supposed to be the disciplinarians. We're supposed to be the tough ones. But that's not God. He says all comfort comes from the Father. So dads, today, don't neglect that responsibility in your family as well. Don't leave that just for the moms. You be that that role of comforter as well. So God gives us that illustration. But here in this passage, we see what we ought to do. How should we respond as a church community when life gets messy? It's easy to play church when things are going well in your life. But can we do it when life gets messy? So here's three qualities I want to kind of point out in their passages we read. Three qualities of an edifying community. And the first one was be genuine. Be genuine. Verse 9, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, that word for be without hypocrisy. In other words, it's saying be sincere. Without concealment of one's thoughts or feelings. So what Paul says for among us, let's have a sincere, genuine love for one another. I don't know about you. How many of you could admit, or as you looked around you, you in, in your life, how many of you would say it's been more difficult these days to trust people? You don't have to show up. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you could feel like, you know what, it's so hard to know someone's intentions these days. What they're really trying to get at. For me, it's been that way. Some of you may know this about me. Maybe I share this with you in smaller context. I, I've grown to be very cynical and distrusting of people. It's not something that I, I enjoy. I had to kind of step away from a previous job because the job itself was creating too much negativity in me towards people. I was being lied to too much, stabbed in the back too much. And you can only be lied to, stabbed in the back so much before you just you never want to turn your back on anybody, Right? So you grow this, this cynicism, this lack of trust for people's intentions. Why are you really saying this? Are you really telling me the truth? And maybe some of you can relate to that. You can relate to the sense of distrust or you don't really know or whether you can trust someone's thoughts and intentions. Maybe you've been betrayed a lot. You've been deceived. You've been left disappointed by people. Maybe there are people in your life who you really thought cared about you and would be there for you in times of need. But in those moments when you needed them the most, they were nowhere to be found. Maybe you could relate to the experience of people finding you useful, but when they got what they needed, they were nowhere to be found. They moved on to someone else. And I thought about this. Maybe you've thought this before too. Why is it so difficult for Christians to have a sincere love for each other? 
I don't know if you've thought about that. Or your church experience, you've felt that before. So I thought about this, I wondered it, and I wonder if it's partly because we have the wrong concept of what a relationship with God really is and what it's supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like in our life. People like to keep their relationship with God to themselves, don't they? They like to keep their relationship with God looking nice and neat and pretty and undisturbed. And they want everybody else to to know that their relationship with God is nice and clean and undisturbed. Their relationship with God is supposed to be this nicely wrapped package without any scuff marks or scratches. Have you ever bought something and that you didn't want to mess it up? You you didn't want it to get dirty? Maybe it was a nice car or your, your new phone. You remember when you first got your first scratch on your phone? But people treat their relationship with God that way. They don't like it to get messy. It's like if you bought a shovel, but you're too afraid to get it dirty. So you just let it sit there. Or if you get a new plunger, but you're afraid to use it because you're afraid to get, well, you know. You, You get the picture. But I wonder if people are so worried that when life gets messy or someone they know their life is gets messy they, they don't want to get in the they don't want to get involved because they don't like mess they don't like things to get messy it's like tupperware you know you have, you have tupperware have you ever put curry or pasta or chili in it what happens to that tupperware afterwards gets stained with that right i think a lot of people are too afraid to get their relationship with god too messy get it stained so they kind of like to keep their distance when it comes to messy things in life but see is that what god our relationship with god is supposed to be like right in those messy moments that's when our relationship with god is really formed and shaped right but it's not just for you it's not just for your experience When God shapes that relationship, especially in those messy moments, you know what he's doing it for? It's not just for you, but it's for somebody else. That maybe God can use you when you've gone through, or maybe you're still in that messy moment, that there's going to be someone else who can relate to that messiness. And God can use you in that moment. But we have to be willing. We have to be willing to say, you know, my life can get messy, your life can get messy. Let's help each other together. That's when genuine love can happen. See, genuine love is not self-centered. Genuine love is focused on the other person. That's when you know there's love is when your focus is on the other person, not just on yourself. And if we have genuine love towards each other, we will see each other and their needs, even in the messy moments. So one, be genuine. Two, be present. Qualities of an edifying fellowship. Be present. Look at verse 11. They were contributing to the needs of the saints and they were rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Are you present in the moment for someone in need? Are you there in the moment? Not just physically, But are you aware of their needs in that moment? And have you made yourself available to them? Church ought to be a place where people can go 
to find help in times of need. That was one of the characteristics of the early church. In the early church, they all pulled their resources together. It was in their sharing together. When someone was in need, they came to each other's help. That was the quality of the early church. Church ought to be a place where people can go to when they have needs. Now, I've got to admit, my observations of this church has been three months now. can't believe it's already three months. And I will honestly admit, I, from my observation, my experience, there are genuine people here who want to help in times of need. I will say that because there have been people who've genuinely helped us in our time of need. And we appreciate that. And I hope that will be the common experience from all of us. But needs come in different form, right? It's not just uh, material things. Some of the most neglected needs that we have are emotional needs, right? Personal needs, deep needs. And look what it says. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Are we so present in people's lives that we can rejoice and celebrate in other people's joys and not resent it? And not be envy towards what good is happening. Man, why is that family always having good things? Why are their kids always doing so well? Why are they always getting promotions? How come my life is hard and we can't enjoy and rejoice with someone's joys? But maybe that's a little easier. But notice what it says. Weep with those who weep. When life is messy, those mournful moments, do we have people in our lives who will mourn with us? Do you have someone who will just sit with you, put their arms around you, and cry with you? Do you have someone in your life that you depend on to emotionally, they will be appropriate with you? Emotionally appropriate with you. In that moment is there with you. And I think many Christians struggle with this weep with those who weep. They can be physically present, but emotionally may be absent. Have you ever tried to share a difficult experience? You're going through a difficult time. Maybe it's in like a prayer request time. And the situation was emotionally painful and the person's or people's response was kind of callous or unemotional, kind of dismissive. Ever had that happen to you? Or maybe the response was some version of Christianese. You know, these things that Christians always say, oh, I'll pray for you, right? Maybe you had a loved one pass away, and the immediate response was a reflective, oh, at least they're in a better place. Did you really need to hear that at the moment? In that moment, you just needed someone to say, I'm sorry. Do you need anything? Can I be here for you? Can I just be sad here with you and be here with you? There are going to be moments when you can't do anything. And it's not your role to change something. But that person just needs you to be there in that moment. And I think sometimes us Christians could be bad at that because we want instant change. We want to be better instantly. And we neglect that. You know what? Sometimes we're joyful and sometimes we just mourn. Sometimes we're grieving. Sometimes we're hurting. And we need someone there who could say, you know what? Let me be there with you. 
Are you present? Are we as a church, can we be present in people when their life gets messy? The third thing, be persistent. It says rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. I love that these three things are associated together. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and be devoted to prayer. Because these three things we need to be persistent in, especially when life gets messy, when things aren't going the way we want it to. We have to remember that we have to rejoice in hope. As believers in Christ, we have this eternal hope that what we're going through here on earth is not the end. We have an eternal hope that, you know what, is far greater than any struggles that we're going through here. We have the hope of salvation, that we're free from condemnation. We're free from the burden of sin. That is our hope. We have a hope that we have a heavenly Father who comforts us, who's there with us. We do not have to feel alone. We need to be reminded in our life when things are difficult, we can persevere in the tribulation. That word tribulation literally is the pressing or pressure. How many of you feel pressure in life right now? It feels like walls are closing in on you right now. And there's going to be moments when we feel like giving up. How many feel like, I feel like, you know what, I'm just going to just forget about it. I'm just going to abandon my faith. Life gets hard and you, like, you question God, like, God, why aren't you here? Forget you. We need people in our life to help us, to encourage us, to press on, especially in tribulation. To have someone in your life to be there and encourage you to keep going. Remember the hope you have. And the third thing, it says to be devoted to prayer. We ourselves need to be devoted to prayer when life gets messy. And we need people in our lives not just pray for us, but to pray with us. I don't think we all, I don't think we do this enough. I'll include myself in this, right? Remember, this is the, I'm the first person this message speaks to. So I'll admit, there are too many times that I leave moments where I could be praying with somebody. Not just saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you. But you know what? I'm going to pray with you. Right now, let's pray together. We have prayer meetings. We have fellowships. We want to do that because we give opportunities for people to come together to pray with each other, to be present in times of need when life gets messy. Let me share a last verse with you all as I wrap it up. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Do you catch that? The seriousness, what God says, how he views how we deal with each other. He says, look, If you know my love, it will be shown in how you love each other. Because if you do not love each other, can you really say you know my love? Is that serious or what? That's some serious stuff. And we take it to heart as a congregation, as a fellowship, as we come together. 
Can we see the love of God in our fellowship with each other? So when life is messy, as a community, can we be genuine with each other? Have a sincere love for each other. Can we be present with each other? In the moment, to rejoice when it's time to rejoice and to weep when it's time to weep. And can we be persistent with each other? Not just when life is clean and nice and neat, but especially in those messy moments when life is not perfect, when there's struggle, can we be present with each other and persistent with each other? I'll close with these thoughts. Individually, if your life is messy right now, if you're having difficulty right now, I want to encourage you, don't bear the burden by yourself. Challenge us as a church to be there for you. And if you don't find that one person, look for another. Remember I said last week, we're all puzzle pieces, but not every puzzle piece fits with each other. Right? You may be a puzzle piece that three pieces fit, but as you follow the chain, the other, per, the other piece can fit along the chain, right? Seek out someone who's trustworthy, who can be there with you. And if you can't find somebody, tell someone at church leadership, hey, you know what? I've been here. I need some help. I need someone here with me. Third thing, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Keep perspective in your trials. You need someone who may be outside of the situation. When you're in a storm, sometimes it's hard to find. It's hard to see the calm outside the storm. You might need somebody to come in your life to give you some perspective on it, to encourage you with hope. And the last thing, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in prayer. Seek the Lord in your life. Because you know what? Those messy moments are going to come. It's easy to enjoy things when things are good. But when those messy moments come, I pray that people can find community and help here in this place. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, as we come together, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for being the model of comfort You have shown us what it means to be a father, a loving father, a gracious father, a merciful, kind father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you, we, you are, we are called to be a church family, to love each other as family, to honor each other above ourselves. Help us, Lord God, to be that for each other, to be genuine, to be present and to be persistent with each other when life gets messy. We give you praise, Lord, and we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen.